0: haven't tried Strava Craft Coffee yet. We're selling Strava Cold Brew at the DNVR bar, so you can check it out, get a sample for yourself, and then you're gonna be hooked. You can also subscribe and save 20% with the Strava Craft Coffee subscription. We know a bunch of you guys have taken advantage of the one-time code, DNVR20, to save 20% off. Now you can do that forever with the uh, Strava Craft Coffee subscription. You'll never have to put your credit card information in again. Just have it delivered right to you. Strava Craft Coffee is the CBD-infused coffee made right here in Colorado. The CBD provides all kinds of auxiliary benefits in addition to your coffee, a calm, calming effect. Great for arthritis, joint, joint pain, back pain, headaches, migraines, whatever it is. Uh, lots of cool stuff. You can also try it at Carbon Cafe and Bar. Drip Denver, Slow High Coffee. It's taken over Denver, the coffee of Colorado. Purchase online for 20% using DNBR20. All right, welcome in everybody to a short and quick notebook edition of the DNVR Nuggets podcast writing solo today. Adam Mata is going to walk you through my notes from game four get you ready for game five. The Nuggets back in the 3-1 slot. 3-1 deficit. Familiar territory. The third time in a row now being down 3-1. Can they do it again? The big question. Against the tougher opponent. But you know what? There's something about this bubble that I talked about this a lot. Usually typically you go down 3-1, you have to go on the road now to Los Angeles. That's a road game. You expect everything just to be a little bit tougher. Being inside the bubble, there's just it's so much easier in my opinion to shift momentum. It doesn't mean it's easy to come back from 3-1. It's still incredibly difficult. But if you're trying to look at a silver lining, you know, you just figure something out. You can figure a team out then it just becomes one-off games where there's no advantage. There's no travel. There's no fatigue or, you know, road crowd and rookies playing tight or whatever. You just – you figure things out. You move on. And I think to me <clears> – <throat> I've talked about this in the previous series. game By game five, you pretty much know – I think both teams are about to sort of fit, have each other – the last adjustments have kind of are on the horizon. I think this game, this game five – Is going to be the final game where there's a little bit of like meaningful adjustments, and now the question is which team can sort of take advantage of all of the when once all the cards are on the table. So that's what I'm going to be talking about in this one as we get prepared for Game Five. But let me start by going through just in in order the notes I have from this game. Number one, Dwight Howard starts. Of course, this was the big storyline. I think um, he has been the difference maker in this series. Played great, obviously, in Games One and Four. Got a little bit too far into the goon into the goon factor in games two and three. Um, And this game, and they talked about it on the broadcast, you know, Frank Vogel had talked to Dwight and said, hey, we need your energy. And I know we told you to go in there and mix things up, but you're mixing it up too much. What we really need from you is, you know, your energy, your strength, your rebounding. And he was able to really put his fingerprints all over this game. Although I think there are some other things that played into that, including Paul Millsap getting back-to-back fouls two minutes into the both halves. But we're going to start with just in that first half, because you look at Denver's roster you know, the Lakers playing Dwight, Anthony Davis, LeBron James, three number one picks in their front court. Small forward, power forward, center, three number one picks. If there's a better way to contrast the two different teams, you have on the Lakers side, you've got number one pick LeBron, number one pick Anthony Davis, number one pick Dwight Howard. And on Denver side, you have number 39 pick Jeremy Grant, number 40 pick Paul Millsap, number 41 pick uh, and Nikola Jokic. So it's kind of funny, three, second rounders like mid second rounders and three number one picks um, but Paul Millsap picks up two fouls right away and Paul Millsap I think he has done an underrated job on Anthony Davis you know Anthony Davis had it going a little bit in this game but again Paul Millsap fouls it out or has to go to the bench just two minutes into that half but um, and I think that's part of why Anthony Davis got so comfortable and was able to go but So right off the bat, he gets them. And they were sloppy Millsap fouls. The first one, you know, Denver tries to isolate him on Anthony Davis a little bit more than I would like. I guess you have to sort of allow him those touches, and maybe you try to pick up a foul here or there. But instead, he gets Anthony Davis gets a steal on Millsap, and Millsap just, like, runs into him with a little bit of momentum. So he gets the first foul. Then on the other side of the court, I th- an incredibly questionable call, but a second foul on Paul Millsap that takes him out of the game. And here's where the game shifted Michael Malone went with Tory Craig. Surprise, surprise. He always does. It's his security blanket. But to me, this was the ball game. Why? Because you've got LeBron versus, versus Jeremy Grant. Okay, rebound advantage, LeBron. You've got now Anthony Davis and Paul Millsap. You can call that a wash. In fact, you can actually say Paul Millsap, a fantastic rebounder. You could say, okay, Denver has the advantage there. Then now it's just between Jokic and Dwight. Instead, you throw Torrey Craig out there, way too undersized to guard LeBron, way too undersized to guard Anthony Davis. And not just that, as I'm going to talk about, it created an enormous amount of mismatches. Like, unless you perfectly lined it up the way you wanted with Grant on Anthony Davis, you know, Craig on LeBron, Jokic on Dwight, if you could get back into the half court on those guys. Okay, now you have a chance. And, and you're probably still at a disadvantage, but every time there was a transition opportunity for the Lakers, even if they didn't score in transition, you just found yourself with different. Okay, now Torrey Craig's on Dwight Howard, or you know, now Jokic is on LeBron. You just the cross matches there are so much more punishable because Denver was already in a position of of being undersized. So I thought Malone made a crucial mistake putting Torrey Craig in there. Uh, I probably would have gone with Mason Plumley. I know a lot, I put that out on Twitter, and people thought that was absurd. I'm gonna tell you guys. Mason Plumlee is one of my keys to game five. It's not that I think Mason Plumlee is an incredible player – they have an enormous size advantage. Denver doesn't have a lot of guys behind Paul Millsap that they can throw out there that you can say, okay, they're not going to get bullied on the boards. Paul Millsap's one of them. But um, you know Malone went with Torrey Craig in that moment. And again, like I said, it, to me, this was the game. Not only did they get mi- murdered on the glass, this was a double whammy. You throw Torrey Craig out there because he provides defensive security. Well, who's he guard? He's not. He's a horrible mismatch for Anthony Davis. He's a horrible mismatch for LeBron James. So in my opinion, what Malone did with that was you put Gary Harris was already starting on the court you put Tory Craig now into the lineup you've got two guys that the Lakers just refuse to guard why and why would they and then on the other end you got guys who can't guard can't do the job that they're out there to do so to me it was a really really questionable decision by Michael Malone and Paul Millsap put him in that position by getting those that that one early foul and then picking up that questionable second one the Lakers also went zone early again just daring the Nuggets to shoot once they had Tory Craig Jeremy Grant and in um Gary Harris on the court the Lakers were wisely content to just say yeah those guys aren't going to make enough shots they might make two or three they might get a mini run but they're not going to make enough and I put this on the list I think it was a fantastic edition of the list if you haven't checked it out go to DNVR if you're not a member become a member you can check out all the video clips from game four Um, because I really like I said I really feel like the series has now been whittled down to where everybody can kind of see the battlegrounds and to me So much was made about the Lakers dominating the boards, and they did. And I would say maybe 50% of those rebounds that they got came from, you know, Nuggets players being flat-footed or just not matching the intensity. The other 50%, and 50%, by the way, would have been bad because they got killed on the glass in that first quarter. That alone would would have been tough. But the... But if you cut it by 50%, I think Denver's up or at least tied at the end of that first quarter, and this is an entire different game. Instead, what happened was four plays in a row. So the the score was actually 12-12 to at one point. Four or five possessions in a row go by in which nobody guards Torrey Craig or Gary Harris. The ball winds up in their hands inevitably. They shoot, you know, they shoot open shots and miss them, which led to transition either fast break buckets or complete mismatches. Gary Harris on Dwight Howard in transition. Dwight Howard grabs an offensive rebound, slams it home. Uh, Jokic has to step out onto LeBron James or Anthony Davis, and now there's everybody's kind of scrambling to help him. Denver cannot afford to have horrible possession. Look, everybody's going to miss shots. This has been you know, a little bit of a grind series relative to how good of offenses both teams are. Both teams' defense has been able to have more impact than their offenses. But when Denver put out a lineup that had no hope of scoring, and if you go back and watch that, so many of those possessions were – disguised by the fact that Jamal Murray was absolutely on fire, but he was on fire making tough shots. Throughout the whole game, this was true. I think one of my big fears, especially hearing Malone speak um, the other day after the game, was that he... You know, th- to me, this was a game that Denver should have lost by 25 points. Jamal Murray makes left-handed floaters. You know, he makes step-back jumpers in people's faces. Like he made so many tough shots that it looked like, oh, okay, it. it you know, it it was close. I think what the Lakers did, if every, if there're no adjustments from Denver's side, I think what the Lakers did in that game is significantly more replicable than what Denver did because what Denver did was hit really, really tough shots with Jamal Murray. Um, but the, the the turn the uh, miss shots kept. Leading directly to Lakers having huge advantages. And that's why they scored on every possession. That's why they grabbed so many rebounds on every possession. Denver going small against that, I thought was a huge, huge mistake. Malone calls a timeout. So it goes from 12 12 to 12 18 12. Mike Malone calls a timeout and then brings back the same group, then runs an ATO that doesn't work. That it really, I, I have this one up on the list as well because it really shocked me that they went to a play that did not take. The Lakers have been switching that Jokic pick and roll. And even the off-ball, they're they're content to do that. But they've been so good at switching on the backside. So let's say LeBron gets switched on to Jokic. Well, the entire time, the whole team is locked in, waiting for a moment when they can switch that back. Either send a double team and then bring LeBron off. So like send Dwight Howard over to double and then have LeBron be the guy that releases off of that double team and Howard just stays. Or if they find an opportunity just to switch before the ball gets inside, they do that. And so the Nuggets run an ATO that for some reason just didn't realize that that's how the Lakers are going to guard it gets nowhere. Murray has to shoot a sidestepping three pointer at the buzzer. It misses. They run the other way and they get another transition basket. So to me, it was one of those examples of the Nuggets calling timeout, but not seeing the play, you know, not, not, are not seeing exactly what was happening in the team. And to me, that's really, really what hurt. And then on top of that, here's the other thing, and one of the reasons I think you know one of Millsap or Plumlee needs to be on the court whenever they have the Howard Davis lineup in there alongside Jokic is that Dwight Howard has incredible gravity is, as an offensive rebounder. This is similar to what Kenneth Reed brought to the team. He just has to stand in the dunker spot, and if you step up, you know, Denver's Denver's guards, especially guarding LeBron, Denver gets blown by a lot, so Jokic has to step up or else just gets dunked on. When you step up, Dwight Howard is in such prime position to grab rebounds that it really, really hurts Denver. So that's not a problem that's going away, but it is one that I think Denver has to adjust to. You talk about... does. Denver have to make an adjustment, or do they have to make them pay? Is there a way to make them pay? Well, it's a little bit of both, but I think certainly with regards to the rebounding, Denver has to match size with size against those lineups, or else it should, they're just going to, game five is going to be a repeat of game four. So, Nuggets get down by 12 points. Uh, early on in this game Malone gets another timeout and then finally he puts in what I consider my lineup the only difference was he had Monte Morris instead of uh, Jamal Murray in there I mean it was Murray's regular scheduled time to come out of the game but he goes with Monte Morris Michael Porter Jr. Um, you had uh, Jeremy Grant at the three Mason Plumlee at the four and Jokic at the five immediate run now why do I like this lineup and why do I think it's actually one of the keys to beating the Lakers well the Lakers Denver in the half court defensively has done a solid job against the Lakers. They get killed in transition and in this most recent game killed on the offensive glass. And I think those two things are, are connected. So if you can get them into a half court game, I like your chances of making them be average. You know, you're not going to shut them down. It's LeBron, James, and Anthony Davis. Those guys are going to make, Make tough shots, but I think you can take off, you know, take off their bite a little bit in the half court. It's in transition, and it's in those offensive glass uh, on those offensive glass second chance points opportunities that they really kill you. But if you put Mason Plumlee and Jokic and Michael Porter on the court, that's three elite rebounders. Elite Jokic is an elite rebounder. Michael Porter is an elite rebounder, especially when he's playing the shooting guard position. And then Mason Plumlee, big, strong, he can he can bang in there, and he's he's a rebounder as well. So you get three guys. You feel at least reasonably confident that you can defend the the boards, that you can grab the rebounds. You go to the other end of the court. Well, what's wrong when you have Gary Harris who hasn't been making shots and not making plays, not even getting shots off, by the way, and he's open. It's just he's, he's not confident right now. There was one play wide open on the three-point line shot fakes, runs into a floater on the baseline and shoots like a baseline 10-foot floater that had no no hope. Though He just doesn't have a lot of confidence right now in his offensive ability. So if you go with a Jamal Murray or Monte Morris at point guard, I mean, depending on you know how Murray has to go to the bench sometimes because then he has to carry the non-Jokic lineup. So one of those two guys, okay, that's a shooter. That's a guy that can run pick and roll. You go to Michael Porter at the two, can Michael Porter guard Caruso? Yeah, I think so. Danny Green? Sure. Rajon Rondo? Why not? You know, those guys are going to beat him a little bit off the dribble, but if you're having Rajon Rondo go one-on-one against Michael Porter, that's a lot better, in my opinion, than having LeBron James and Anthony Davis do anything. The more Rajon Rondo you can put, you know, isolation Rajon Rondo you can put, the, the better I'm going to feel about it, but we're going to talk about MPJ here in a little bit because there's, there's other aspects of this. But Michael Porter's going to knock down shots, and if he doesn't, the team is still, the Lakers are still going to guard him. He has an enormous amount of gravity, in large part because of how tall he is, but also because his jumper looks good. I mean, teams expect that one to go in, and they should expect it to go in. Not only should they expect it to go in, but I think with Denver, you count on him getting open looks. Denver has had no shortage of opportunities getting wide-open three-pointers in this series. They just haven't been able to knock him down. This is why I think if you put him at the two, defensively, you're not necessarily punished. There's also that cumulative effect of having a lot of length. If you have Porter, Grant, Jokic, Plumlee on the court, that's four guys that are all, you know, seven feet, seven foot wingspan type players. So that's a lot of length and athleticism. I think there's, you know, that rises everybody's sort of potential defensively. But more to the point, he's just not going to be. The Lakers are going to do some things to put them in 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 tight spots, but I just think the benefit of having threats on there. If you can put the ball in the basket and get back in the half court, that Denver hasn't been getting killed there. They've been getting killed in transition. You got Jeremy Grant who hasn't been consistent making shots in this series, but I feel like if you have, you know, a Murray or Monte, an MPJ out there and a Jokic, that's enough. Grant becomes the last guy there that again, if they're going to leave him open, you we would take Jeremy Grant wide-open three-pointers, and I don't think that the Lakers are going to leave him wide open. They're going to at least try to run him off the line, and that alone creates enough gravity for you. Mason Plumlee, you know, the Jokic-Plumlee lineups have been incredible offensively now for three seasons, so I know a lot of people think, okay, well, now you have that. No, his job is to be down there and to create the same type of gravity that Dwight Howard is creating on offense. Grab the offensive rebounds. Set good screens, roll hard, but grab offensive rebounds and occupy a body down there on the dunker, and I think it works. To me, you know, I I, I thought Jokic underwhelmed in Game Four, and I don't. Great players have to find a way to contribute regardless of what's happening on the floor, but we've said this so many times. The Lakers sat on. What Jokic likes to do because they didn't have to guard Gary Harris or Torrey Craig, so Jokic found himself in a lot of positions of trying to collapse a defense that was already collapsed because they don't they weren't respecting Denver shooters. You give him guys that are going to be able to space him out, and I think Jokic has a much better game. And not just that, put the lake make the Lakers scramble because in scrambled positions, that's when um, that is when teams start to generate fouls. That's when you get guys in foul trouble. I mean, Dwight Howard is a walking foul. Denver made it easy on him because he just had to sit in the paint. There's one possession up on the list where you can see LeBron. LeBron doesn't guard anybody for an entire possession because he's on Torrey Craig. And the ball finally winds up in Torrey Craig reluctantly in his hands reluctantly in the corner and he misses. But LeBron James mucks up an entire possession because he didn't have to guard anybody on that end. They get the rebound. LeBron gets the ball, goes coast to coast and gets a layup. And that was on repeat for that entire first quarter. Take our first break here to tell you about Breckenridge Brewery, the official brewery of DNVR. You guys know it. They've been our partner for a long time, and they're incredible. The Avalanche Amber Ale, the seasonal beer right now, had one after the game the other day. It's a great, like, it's a, obviously a great victory beer, but it's also a great, like, you know, God, you got to lick our wounds type beer. Avalanche Amber, it's great. Outside right now, it's like fall colors, Aspen's changing. That amber ale is so perfect. Drinking an av- avalanche amber ale up in the mountains underneath the color-changing aspen trees. That's a whole vibe. Um, you can also check out Colorado Core, the Hot Peak IPA, Strawberry Sky. You mix the Hot Peak and the Strawberry Sky, you get the RK Special. A Vanilla Porter Jr. Man, it's about time. I might have to crack open a Vanilla Porter Jr. tonight for some good luck. The Nugget's night- the going to need Michael Porter. going to talk about him right after this break. Um, you can also use the Breck Brew Locator if you're out of state. Maybe even, yeah, if you're out of state and you don't know if there's Breck Brew nearby, you go to the Breck Brew locator and they'll tell you if there's a restaurant, bar, or liquor store nearby, check it out, and then send us photos if you do. A lot of people all like to show us, hey, hey, check this out, I love this beer, good rec, DNBR, whatever. You're going to want to do that with the Breck Brew locator, so don't forget, the official partner of official beer of DNBR. And then, of course, DraftKings Week 2 of Football is in the books It's time to review the tape and get ready for week three. There's no better place to get in the action than DraftKings Sportsbook because if you download the app now, all new users get a chance to turn $1 into $100 when you bet on any team, literally any team. $1 could be the heaviest favorite this week. You bet $1, and if they win, you get $100. And if you don't want to bet on football, you can bet on MMA, UFC 253 tonight. You can bet on that one. Same deal, $1. Pick your fighter, they win, $100. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code DNVR. Um, so you can take advantage of that offer. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Which brings me to the DraftKings Sportsbook Pick of the Week. And I'm going with Nikola Jokic tonight. Nine and a half rebounds. I'm taking the over. I've been telling you guys this. This is a fun, this is an interesting one. Because I've been telling you all playoffs, when the Nuggets are have their backs against the wall, take Jokic plus rebounds. Now, here's what's interesting about that is that the Lakers have been really good on the boards. So, is this a little bit risky? It could be. But I think Michael Malone sees the right adjustment, which is putting a little bit more spacing on the court, spacing drags teams away from the paint, and there's Jokic to clean it up. And then also I just think Jokic, you know, when he's back against the wall, I think he brings his A effort. So tonight my lock, my pick of the week, DraftKings Sportsbook pick of the week is going to be nine and a half rebounds. I'm taking the over for Nikola Jokic. Okay, back here on the DNVR Nuggets podcast. Um, so now we got to talk about Michael Porter because I'm talking about him coming into the game. But here's, this, here's the situation. Porter provides so much of what Denver desperately needs, and he takes away so much of what has been successful for Denver. It's a complete offense for defense sort of swap. And I put this in, I think if you go up on, on thednvr.com and check out the list from this week, you're going to see in no uncertain terms exactly how the Lakers have targeted Michael Porter every time he's on the court, and they've done it in a great way. LeBron's a great player. We talk about Kawhi Leonard, Paul George. The the Clippers didn't take advantage of Paul of, of Michael Porter not knowing how to play defense yet at an NBA level. Um, and I'm not talking about sliding his feet, blocking shots, whatever. He has the physical tools to do it. You know, it doesn't sit, doesn't get in his stance really that well. You know, he's a little stiff, so his side to side movements aren't aren't great. But he's so athletic and so long that to me, that's not the issue with him. What's the issue is. He he just doesn't understand the game defensively. He doesn't see a half-step ahead. He's always a half-step or a full-step behind, and that's what kills Denver because Denver has, you know, they're in playoff form. A lot of these guys have been in the league for a, for quite a while now. They've been playing at this level for quite a while, and Michael Porter's being thrown into that. But one of the things that the Denver is having Michael Porter do on ball screens because they're so afraid of him switching is they're having him jump out and hedge really hard. Which isn't a bad strategy in theory. The problem is, can he execute it, and can the players he's going up against sort of put him in a bind? And the answer is yes, because the player is LeBron James, and LeBron James is just a a has a Ph.D. Um, in pick and roll offense. So Porter's jumping out on that screen, and LeBron has either been trying to split that action because Porter gets so wide, jumps out so wide on it. Or they're having somebody slip the screen into the pocket. This is what uh, the uh, Utah Jazz had such success with on the Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert screen against Jokic because Jokic was jumping out high. They'd slip him into the open pocket there, pass to him, and now it's a four-on-three. Um, or there's been times when – and so, uh, one, when Porter gets to the right spot or, you know, executes the game plan up in the right – how do I put this like he goes to the spot or he does the type of defense he's supposed to do even if he does it poorly but then there's other times when he doesn't even get in the right position there's a play I put up on the list where he jumps to the wrong side of a screen which allows uh, LeBron James to get running downhill to the free throw th- line throws the Elliope over Plumlee's head right to the- Dwight Howard Plumlee gets dunked on players hate this Denver Nuggets teammates hate this because it's Michael Porter screws up and it's Mason Plumlee that ends up getting put on a poster. So this is the thing people don't understand is we can talk about the analytics of it. Michael Porter is a plus player and all these different things. But you have to understand that the players can get frustrated, rightfully so, by how often they place – he places them in such a negative position he has to be better the team needs him the team needs Michael Porter to be better on the defensive end than what he is and then they need him to be the best version of himself on offense that being said what I would do and Michael Porter's the weak Lincoln here he's going to be guarding like Danny Green in that starting lineup and they're going to switch him on to LeBron James what I would do is just accept the switch I would tell Michael Porter look don't foul no and ones, no fouls, stay in front of them, sag off, give the open jumper, but just switch it. Because if LeBron is taking open jumper after open jumper, especially if you can get him off the three-point line and into the mid-range, you know, maybe he's on fire this game. He's LeBron James. It's possible. But that's not what's killed Denver in this series so far. If you, Fouling, transition buckets, Anthony Davis, it rebounds, that, that, those are the things that have killed you so far. And if I were... If I were Denver, I would just not be afraid of that switch and Denver did this in the second half I'm going to talk about but I would just not be afraid of that switch and I'd play Michael Porter and if they want to attack him all night, we'll take that We'll, we'll see what happens if it doesn't work, make the adjustment in the second half but right now we know going to those non-shooting lineups doesn't work so keep going there hoping that something changes to me just doesn't doesn't make a whole lot of sense um, I mentioned this some of the rebounding being about you know transition or this or that but honestly half of them About 50%, I would say, were just awful effort. Jokic was in a weird funk in this game, and I hated to see it because it just didn't look like he... Was engaged the way that he needed to be. You could tell he was frustrated with what was going on on the court, and maybe you know, offensive defense, whatever it was. But there were a lot of just plays where you could tell he gave up on a play. Dwight Howard did not, and it made him look really, really bad. Um, Nuggets made a good run though. So once they get the what I consider to be their the you know a smart lineup in there, they start making a run. They chip it all the way down to I think four points, and then of course Mason Plumley, I've talked about this before. He's a smart guy. He's not a smart basketball player. He fouls Anthony Davis on a three-point shot. That why on earth would you would you foul a guy? He put himself in such position to foul him, and he fouls him. And it's just one of those plays where you go, Denver's on a run. They were down 12. They cut it to four. Why foul a three-point shooter? If they make a shot. You tip your hat to him. But if you just run out at him, challenge it, and then move on, Nuggets have a chance. So they were playing so well, and it was so annoying. Then the starters come back in. I talked about Jamal Murray, just some impossible shot making. This was one of the best games of his career, and he—I mean—he just brought it. This is one of the things that if I was Jokic, I would feel a little bad because your co-star Jamal Murray put laid everything out on the court. I don't think Jokic came close to laying everything out on the court, and that—that um, that was kind of frustrating to see. But it was a miracle that Denver was within five points heading into halftime. And actually, they should have been within two points. This goes back to what happened at the end of the quarter. Denver gets a great possession, works it around to Paul Millsap, has plenty of time to step into a wide-open three-pointer. And what does he do? He airballs it. It was such a fitting end to that half where Denver did a lot of good things on the offensive end, but if it ends in wide-open airballs, there's nothing you can do. Thank God it was the last possession. Otherwise, it would have led to a fast break the other way. But Denver – you know. Like I said, I think Michael Porter needs to play, and he needs to make his shots, and he needs to not be a liability on defense. If he does not, if Michael Malone sticks with what I think he will do, which is just continue to play his more defensive-minded guys, then Torrey Craig's got to make his shots. Gary Harris has to make his shots. Jeremy Green has to make their shots because they're not going to be guarded. The Lakers have decided those guys can't beat can't beat us, and so far they've been right about that. In the second half, Millsap got two fouls again in the first two minutes. And, again, the second one was so questionable. I mean, Gontavius Caldwell-Pope basically just brings his elbow up and uh, – or, I'm sorry, put, puts his arm, like, on Millsap. There's no shove-off from Millsap. There's no nothing on the replay, and he, he just kind of flops on it. He kind of flails and falls backwards, gets the call, and now Millsap has to go to the bench. You watch that game, and I know a lot of people's – their takeaway was, okay, now the Lakers have figured Denver out. Paul Millsap is a key to what Denver has to do to guard Anthony Davis and Dwight Howard. He's a key to that. He didn't play in the meaningful portions of the game other than the fourth quarter. You look at that first half, barely got any minutes. Gets in the second half, he's out immediately with his fourth foul now. And it, it's just tough. When Michael Malone talked after the game about, we're going to be sending some clips, it's not always about the number of fouls that were called or this, that, because I know some people have said there's been exactly the same amount of fouls. Yeah. How many times has Anthony Davis, LeBron James been fouled out, had to go to the bench in the first five minutes of a half? It hasn't happened. Now it's happened with Jokic twice. It's happened with Millsap twice. Um, so it, it's about when those fouls happen and whether or not they are like meaningful. You know, like w- whether those fouls are controversial. And I thought in this case, two of the ones on Millsap were extremely controversial. Um, Malone went with Torrey Craig again. I mean, I. It's Malone. It it, it, to me, it didn't work in that first half in such a loud way. So why would you try it again in the second half? Same story. They go in. Torrey Craig was a minus 17 in this game, despite playing primarily with the starters. Torrey Craig, most of his minutes were alongside Murray and Jokic. Torrey Craig's a minus 17. No other Nuggets player was worse than a minus eight. And the reason those numbers sometimes it can be misleading, but we're dissect exactly when that minus 17 came, and it was both at the start of the first half and the start of the second half, and it happened in the exact same. Way, with the Lakers grabbing an enormous amount of rebounds and not guarding Tory Craig and Gary Harris specifically, which kept leading to transition. That second half looked exactly like the first half to start. And it went from Denver being down five to back down 12 again. And it was just so maddening to watch in real time. Um, a missed Gary Harris layup, by the way. Gary Harris had a nice, easy layup. He misses it. And on the other end, Jokic picked up his second foul. This becomes meaningful because it was a transition. And Jokic gets out of the first half with one foul. He gives one of those take fouls, which I uh, we've, we've talked about this forever. Jokic is not mentally into this game. Don't take that foul. It didn't really save any points It put somebody on the free throw line. So um, he takes that second foul, and in little did he know that was going to come back to haunt the team later on. Um Malone goes back to the small lineup, and once again, it works. I mean, it's it's like clockwork here. You go with Monte Morris and Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., Grant, and Jokic. This is staggered now in the back half of the third quarter, and it works. Um, um, Nuggets had a lot of answers on great Nuggets defense. There was a Rejon Ron- Rondo three in the half court that was an absolute killer because Denver, again, they kept clawing back, and the Lakers kept having a response for it, and it was often a response that was – I'm not, you know, Denver hit a lot of tough shots too. So this is by no means saying it was luck. It, I'm saying that a Rajon Rondo contested three pointer at the shot clock buzzer is a shot you want them to take. That means you did a good defensive process. But sometimes guys hit those shots. And that's what happened in this game um, in that third quarter. Denver kept ch- um, cutting it, and then they kept getting. The right three pointer at the right moment to push a five point game back up to eight or a four point game back up to seven. So it never quite got to that moment where you thought they were going to take the lead until the fourth quarter. But the Nuggets were climbing and they had great defense. They were locked in in that third quarter. Um, They started, I, I mentioned, so they in the first half they had Michael Porter jumping out on those screens. In the second half they had him just sticking to LeBron. And Denver's defense was compromised but guess what nuggets were only down 3 heading into the fourth quarter because michael porter junior hit a buzzer at the at at the end of the third quarter so denver now cuts that deficit down to 3 and again LeBron kept attacking Michael Porter in that third quarter. Denver was switching it. They kept attacking him. It still was a net positive for Denver, and that's why I think Denver can get away with him on the court. Even if he has to guard LeBron James in open space, just don't foul. Stay out of foul trouble. Don't let LeBron get to the line. To me, that was uh, that was the key. Week two of football is in the books. Now it's time to review the tape and get ready for week three. There's no better place. To do that, then with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, to add to the excitement of Week 3, DraftKings is bringing back their Campus miss offer. You've heard of it. I've been talking about it now for three weeks. Here's how it works. You put $1 on any team, any team in the N- NFL and if they win, you win $100. It's an incredible deal. You get a cool Benjamin just for betting on it. He can even be the favorite. If you don't like football, you can go to MMA, bet on UFC 253. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use promo code DNBR when you sign up to get this can't-miss offer. Pick any team during week week three. Bet $1. Win $100. That's the deal. That's how you win. Don't forget, promo code DNBR. Must be 21 or older. Colorado-only. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook with details gambling problem, call one 800 522 4700 Then I also want to tell you about a new sponsor here, Chevalier Mortgage. Call Virginia directly 303-257-6578 or visit dnbrmortgage.com. Mike and Virginia Chevalier are not only diehard Broncos fans and proud CSU alums, but they are also supported DNBR for a long time as DNBR members. They're a husband and wife team with over 15 years of financial services experience. Since your home is likely to be one of the largest assets, and your mortgage, your largest debt, they believe it is vital to consider your full financial picture when purchasing a home. This includes considering your short-term and long-term planning goals, your investments, and your tax situation. Mike and Virginia will work tirelessly to find the best loan for your situation. Guys, they do incredible stuff here. Mike is a certified financial planner, which really sets that duo apart. I did 10 years. In the real estate business, I can tell you from personal experience, your mortgage and owning a home and how you manage that asset is, the, for most people, the most important sort of financial decision you can make. So don't forget, uh, Michael Chevalier Chevalier Mortgage, you want to call them 303-257-6578 or visit dnvrmortgage.com. So back here, final segment, going to wrap up here in the fourth quarter and then talk about going forward in game five tonight, what I think has to happen. But first of all, Jamal Murray, so much was made about LeBron James's You guys really see how the national LeBron machine works. So LeBron just hacks the shit out of out of Jamal Murray in the fourth quarter and gets called a hero for guarding him one on one. It was it's so frustrating, but guys, this is just how it works. And it was funny too because SportsCenter, like at SportsCenter, the Twitter handle p- tweeted out the slow mo version of him hacking Jamal Murray. Like it's not even a block; he touches no ball. He just touches his arm, and they go great defense from LeBron down the stretch. And you just go, okay, I guess, I, I, I whatever. You know, it's the this is it, it was almost uh, well, I almost got political there, but it's it's. You know, it's ridiculous in this way that we can just like, we're not even hiding the fact that we're lying on this, but whatever. Jamal Murray also guarded LeBron in that fourth quarter a little bit, and I thought he did a great effort. He actually blocks his shot on one possession when he was ISO'd on him. Um, The story, though, of the fourth quarter was that Jokic picked up two fouls. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. They were both BS. I mean, the second one was a bit of a 50-50 touch foul, but, I mean, come on, man. Anthony Davis walks it. It was such a bad call. So the first one, Jokic gets the – Jokic got Jokic'd. He gets his arm grabbed by – Anthony Davis. That's in slow motion. Um, you can you can find it anywhere on Twitter, but it's in slow motion. You can see it. Anthony Davis grabs his arm, yanks it, and they call the foul on on Jokic. And then immediately after that, in the very next play, the the announcing crew, while watching the slow motion replay, says. I can't tell if there's a foul on Porter or if it's on Jokic. Who's who's who are they calling the foul on? Because they replay it, and then Chris Weber says, "Reggie, that's not a foul." Well, guess what? It's the fourth quarter of a three-point game, and now Jokic has to go to the bench because he has five fouls. Absolutely infuriating how this game unfolded, but what, whatever. Um, and then just out of rhythm, the, you know, missed those two putback tip-ins um, right before that. You know, this was early in the fourth. We know that Jokic, you know, down the stretch of force has been very, very good all season, but he couldn't play. He had to go to the bench after that and then missed it. It was funny how much there was talk of Jokic was scoreless in the fourth quarter. He didn't play in the fourth quarter. Um, He got back in with like four minutes to go. So uh, annoying on, on, on that front. Malone not challenging the Anthony Davis ankle sprain, in my opinion, cost the Nuggets the game. I thought Malone did a lot in this game. That, you know, you never want to say, okay, it's on the coach or this or that. I, I thought Mike Malone has had a fantastic uh, series up until this point. I thought he's he's had his finger on the pulse. But him going with Torrey Craig, but not just in the first half, but also in the second half, and it just not working either time in, in the exact same fashion, I thought was just an egregious mistake. And then not challenging any of the calls that I think the Denver Nuggets had a chance with, either of Jokic's two fouls. He, the the one that was the most egregious was Anthony Davis's ankle sprain because the Nuggets cut that. I think at the point at that point the game is a three point game. Nuggets are on the move. Um, Jamal Murray is dialed in. He just looks like he's going to win the game for the Nuggets. Anthony Davis gets a BS call, and they actually review the play because Anthony Davis jumps up to shoot a jumper, Paul Millsap closes out, makes no contact, doesn't crowd his lounging space, doesn't do anything illegal, and Anthony Davis lands awkwardly on his own, on just on the ground, not on anybody's foot, not on anything, he just lands awkwardly and falls. Well, they call a foul because they saw him fall, and then they went to the monitor to make sure it wasn't a flagrant foul, so Malone had time to review it, and he doesn't challenge it, and to me, I'm watching this game, and I go, okay, Anthony Davis is going to the free throw line to get two free throws it's the fourth quarter what are you saving a challenge for this literally will take points off of the board for the other team which is the most valuable type of challenge that you can have he doesn't do it um Anthony Davis scores and from that point on I just thought man you know that was your opportunity to really really shift things either call one for one of Jokic's fouls or call it for for that instead he saves it for the end the, the this was like eight minutes to go or six minutes to go he saves it for the final one minute on a play that was so clearly a blocking foul on Jeremy Grant that it was just a wasted challenge. So I thought he did a horrible job u- utilizing his challenges in game four. And um, there's, a, I don't know that you can say any one thing cost the game, but that was certainly one of the things. Um, Monte Morris closed over Gary, which he, just, he needed to. I mean, Monte Morris was fantastic in this game. He made his shots. Um, but that also just shows you that Gary Harris, Denver's shooting guard, who at one point was their best perimeter shooter, has just fallen off so much that he can't be trusted in in a, in a crucial game. So um, I think going forward, I think that if you look at players off of the bench, Monte Morris, Michael Porter, who I don't think should be off the bench, but those are two guys, and Mason Plumlee, I would rely on a lot. I would not rely on Torrey Craig. Gary Harris, I wouldn't rely on unless he's making shots. You want to give him confidence, say, hey, we're still with you. But me personally, I would start Michael Porter in his spot. I would still play Gary heavy minutes, but you can play him against certain lesser lethal lineups, especially lineups that are less lethal in transition. And that opening unit for the Lakers is just so lethal in transition, especially a transition rebounding, that I don't think you can afford to be throwing up brick after brick after brick with that first unit. So to me, Monte Morris should play. Um, I, I would play uh, Michael Porter a lot of minutes. It's, you're gonna have to live and die with with Michael Porter making some shots, and to, quite frankly, I would count on the team living, not dying, if he, if he does. But I really would fear Michael Malone going to more of those lineups that just feature more than one player who can't shoot, because the Lakers' defense in the half court has looked great when they haven't had to guard players. Denver's still alive. It's gonna be tough. It's gonna be an uphill battle, but they're still alive in this one. They've been here before. I do feel again. With this bubble, there's no travel, there's nothing else. It's more about can a team solve whatever is being thrown at them? And I feel like Denver, at least right now, can solve the equation in front of them. Whether the Lakers have another riddle up their sleeve, find that out in game six. But in game five, if this the, the series has sort of evolved in, in a way that Denver can take advantage of this, at least for a game, if they make the right calls, I don't have a ton of confidence that Michael Malone's gonna wanna do that, but I'm hopeful. We'll see you guys on the other side tonight, but hopefully, in the winner's lounge over at dnvr will be at the dnvr bar we'll hope to see it by the way i had somebody reach out on on twitter and it made me it made me pretty sad um that came to the dnvr bar and then was upset that you know it didn't get um face-to-face contact with them i just want to say if you come to the dnvr bar you know we're there every day and i believe that the cdc guidelines work we, we go to enormous lengths to make sure that we create a safe environment for everybody. And sadly, that means that there's some interactions that just can't take place. Everybody has to wear a mask when you're downstairs, unless you're at your own table. Tables are are very distanced apart, so people are, are, are not too close. You know, but I'm there every single day. And I put my mask on anytime I go downstairs, and I like to talk to people, but I always try to keep a little bit of distance and to keep my mask on. Um, if you want to, if you're, if you come to the game and you're like, hey man, I really love to chat with you, I'd love to chat with you too. Let me know where you're at. I don't know who's, who's at the bar knows me. You know, it, it's still some people are out there for dinner or this or that. So. Hit me up if you if you're there. Say hey, come stop by and say hey. I'm I'd love to. I love talking to Nuggets fans. I love get kind of meeting people face to face and putting faces to screen names and different things. So if you're there, hit me a DM. Say hey, I'm coming to the game tonight. Um, this is what I'll be wearing or whatever. Come say hi and I will stop by, masked up, keep my distance, and we can have a nice conversation about the Nuggets. But when I saw somebody was there, I, who I I didn't realize was there, and was was disappointed that I didn't come down to talk. I, guys, we all have to kind of in order for our bar to stay open and to be able to do this, we all have to kind of make a little bit of sacrifices. And for me, that means, you know, limiting the amount of time I go downstairs and, and mingle with people. I still think it's, and again, because we own a bar, I follow this stuff very, very closely. The CDC guidelines, in my opinion, they work. They, they, they're, they really limit your exposure Um, if you just keep a little bit of distance and wear a mask and that's what we do at the DNVR bar So if you want to chat, let me know happy to come down and do that but i'm not going to always just kind of be down there because I I too have to limit my exposure and 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 keep a safe distance from other people who maybe don't want me to go over there and talk to them So hit me up glad to come talk nuggets with you in a safe manner Thanks so much for tuning in guys. We'll be back again tonight with a brand new episode you guys about green mountain dental group up in lakewood they're the best damn family-owned dentist in the metro area and they're extreme colorado sports fans just like all of us taking care you know dental hygiene is such an important part of your overall health right now if you schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam you receive a free sonicare toothbrush tweet at us when you go there let them know that you um that you pick them because they've been a proud partner of us for so many years and we want all of our members to become proud partners with them and taking care of your, your oral hygiene. Don't forget about that Sonicare deal. It's an incredible deal. Get a cleaning x-ray and exam at Green Mountain Dental, receive a free Sonicare toothbrush, just 15 minutes from downtown, family owned, Colorado's own.